Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, an over-under for Ritter, riled up, and fair or unfair. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Hitting Hard is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So I'm going to give you an over-under for Desmond Ritter. I, mean, I was thinking about this the other day about what kind of offense that this is going to be. Obviously, we know it's going to be a run-heavy offense with this team, right? And they've drafted Bijan Robinson and obviously Tyler Algier, a 1,000-yard running back in his rookie season. But they've talked about being a more balanced offense. So here's the over-under. Over-under 475 pass attempts for Desmond Ritter for this upcoming season. Over-under 475 pass attempts. So if you look... Last year, the Atlanta Falcons were one of the lowest passing attempt teams in the NFL, only trying 415 attempts last year. That does include dropbacks and all that other kind of stuff. I'm talking about pure pass attempts. 415 attempts last year. Marcus Mariota had 300 of those. Desmond Ritter had in four games 115 pass attempts. Now, if you extrapolate that over a 17-game season, that's like 488 and a half. So if I say over under 475, I'm taking the under. Now, here's why. Again, I still think they're going to be a very heavy run team. They were one of the only teams in the NFL that called more run plays than pass plays. And while it's a a different league and you've invested in Kyle Pitts and Drake London and different things like that, this team's bread and butter is to run the football. And again, I, I think that, Look, Tyler Algier had a thousand yards and only seven starts and 210 carries. You could see both of those guys running for a thousand yards. We talked about this, you know, a week or so ago. Both those guys could run for a thousand yards. They could be Derrick Henry, but split in two. So I still think they're going to be a obviously run heavy offense. Desmond Ritter is not going to carry the football. He's not going to have the rush attempts that Marcus Mariota is. So again, with probably a reduced role for Cordero Patterson. Probably Caleb Huntley maybe fits a little bit into the mix. I think Patterson's going to be more of a slot receiver for this team, catching more balls out of the backfield. Obviously, Bijan Robinson's going to be very involved in the pass game, but still, the bread and butter for this team is to run the football. Here's the other question that we have, too, is can our offensive line pass block? So I know Jake Matthews is a really good pass blocker. He's probably a better pass blocker than run blocker. Chris Lindstrom can do everything. He's the best guard in the NFL, okay? But we start getting into questions from there. I know Caleb McGarry is an elite-level run-blocking offensive lineman. I know he's elite. I got no problems with that. But we still don't know what his pass blocking is going to be. Is he going to be the guy that in the first few years of his career was really struggling against speed rushers coming off the edge and getting his quarterback killed? Or has that part of his game improved as well? Matthew Bergeron, obviously probably going to be the starting left guard, all things, you know, working out well. 
he's probably going to get the you know number one opportunity to start at left guard. Well, again, you're talking about a guy who's playing in a different position in his first year right out of the gate. Now, again, the idea of him being a left guard where he hasn't you know played before, but at least they're incorporating him early on into mandatory minis and OTAs and all this kind of stuff right into that left guard position. But we don't know if he's going to be able to pass block. So I, I, I think he can run block, and I think he's physical enough, and he's got the size and everything to push people around. But his pass blocking in the NFL at a new position will be a question. Then it comes to Drew Dahlman at center. I don't like the idea of Dolman being an undersized guy. I think if he comes off the line and he can run block, I think he's going to be okay. But again, snapping the football and then, you know, trying to take on defensive linemen, he gets pushed around at times. So that's why I think at 475 attempts, I still think Desmond Ritter is going to be on the under side of that. Even though he was averaging, you know, being over, I, I think that it's going to be the under number. So if you told me 475, I'll take the under. And I think it's probably somewhere in about that 440 to 450 kind of range. Again, he's not Matt Ryan. He's not going to throw it 500, 600 times. He's not going to huck it all around. Even though you've got London and Pitts where their value becomes, you know, at its max is when we get in the red zone. I can see him throwing it more in the red zone, but I don't think they're going to risk, you know, a, a quarterback that's a first-time starter, first full year starting, that you're going to huck it around and start dropping him back and throwing it. I don't think he's going to be the turnover machine that Marcus Mariota is, right? I mean, I, I don't. I think he'll be more cautious with the football than he'll protect the football, but I don't think they're going to put him in dangerous situations, and they certainly are not going to line him up into third and 15 types of situations because they failed to run the football on first and second down. So when you factor everything in to what this offense is going to be, even though Bijan Robinson can catch passes, Algier can catch passes, we got John U. Smith, we got Drake London, we got Kyle Pitts, right? Those are all pass catchers, okay? At the end of the day, I'll still take under 475 pass attempts because, again, I still think the bread and butter of what this offensive line does is push people forward and run block from there. And again, you know, I don't think they're going to put Desmond Ritter in harm's way. I don't think they're going to drop him back. Again, it's a big difference, you know, when you get into the red zone, and that field kind of shortens about how much you're going to throw. But I, I certainly don't think that they're going to air the football out. Now, again, they've talked about being a more balanced offense, and I get that. But still, are, are they going to be 50-50, you know, as far as run pass? Uh, I still think that that leans 55 or more percent toward the running game. And look, you didn't draft B. John Robinson just to catch passes out of the backfield. He is going to get his rushing attempts. And the fact that this offensive line where Tyler Algier was averaging 4.9 yards per attempt, you know how good a pass or sorry, a run blocking line that that offensive line is. So their strength is to push people forward, not drop back in, you know, being on their heels and defending against, you know, guys coming right at them. So, so many factors of this, you know, that again, I, I, I want the Falcons to be an elite level red zone offense. That, that to me is the number one thing that we have to be, right? We've talked about this on the podcast that look, number one thing that I'm looking at is what do we do in the red zone? Are we a 67% red zone offense as far as scoring touchdowns go. If we can, then we can be elite. And that can be a pass-run combo. But again, 
moving the football down the field, I, I think that this is going to be Desmond Ritter turning and handing the football off. And whether it's Patterson, Robinson, Algier, Caleb Huntley, whatever combination of guys that they have, and Arthur Smith has talked about the idea of, look, everybody can get carries in this offense. I saw a thing on P a Pro Football Focus about the idea of a battle between B. John Robinson and Tyler Algier. There's not going to be a battle. It's not a matter of who starts. Again, Algier only started seven games last year and was still a thousand yard rusher. And he only had 210 attempts. I know he led the Falcons in rushing attempts, but he only had 210. That's not a very big number. I mean, if you look at some of the numbers, I mean, look, Jamal Anderson in, in 98 was like 440 attempts, right? So again, Robinson, Algier, those guys could certainly get a couple of hundred carries in the run game apiece and still get a thousand yards. Algier, 4.9 yards per rush, 3.6 yards per rush attempt after contact. And I think that's the dynamic that those guys bring. Their offensive line, the yards after contact, that this is still going to be a run-heavy offense. So they can talk about becoming more balanced than this, that, and the other, but still, 475 attempts for Ritter, I'm still going to take that over. All right, uh, this episode is sponsored by FanDuel. And listen, FanDuel's America's number one sports book as the Braves continue to roll right along, headed toward the All-Star break. Head to FanDuel now as a new customer, and you can claim your no-sweat first bet where you can get as much as $2,500 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. I said that right. $2,500 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Now, FanDuel is safe, secure, super easy to use. They allow you to bet on everything from money lines to prop bets to how many home runs Austin Riley is going to hit, whatever. So head to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N and claim your no-sweat first bet where if your first bet doesn't win, you can get as much as $2,500 in uh, bonus bets. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. FanDuel is the official sports betting partner of the NBA. So Austin Riley is a, a little bit of an enigma this year. And why do I say that? If you look at his just kind of cursory numbers, right? I mean, just what his numbers are projected to be overall for the season, you're looking at 26 homers, 92 runs scored, 80 RBI. Now, look, that's not a bad, that's not a bad number to have, right? I mean, that would still probably put you in the upper tier of third baseman. Is it what we've expected out of Austin Riley over the last couple of years? No, but those are still really good numbers. I mean, 25-plus homers, you still drive in 80 runs, score 92 runs, which, by the way, would put him at about his career high with number of runs scored. But look at a couple of underlying things for Austin Riley, okay? Right now, he's hitting, ready, 136 with runners in scoring position. I said that right. He's got three homers, 20 RBI in 78 plate appearances, hitting 136. Now, when you look at those numbers, Riley is coming to bat 26% of the time with runners in scoring position. He has 78 plate appearances in 302 plate appearances. That comes out to be 26%. So basically, you, you get a four at bat night. He's going to have at least one of those at bats that have runners in scoring position. 
And he, he really kind of hasn't taken advantage of it, obviously, with the 136 batting average. So, again, when you look at the kind of cursory numbers, the 35,000-foot numbers, 26 homers, 92 runs, 80 RBI, as he's projecting out to be right now, those are pretty good. But but I wonder if – I wonder how much Austin Riley is a guy who really benefits from what this lineup is. Look, we've talked before on the show. When they get their seven, eight, nine hitters going, whatever combination that is, whether it's Ozuna, Arcia, Michael Harris, Ozzy, whatever, whatever combination that is, they can't be beat. And right now, their record is outstanding in the month of June, and it's mostly because of what their offense is. And even Austin Riley, to some degree, has not had that big breakout week or month or anything like that, right? Like we saw, you know, over, what, July of a couple of years ago or, you know, again, he has he's had these big months, but he really hasn't broken out. And the fact that their top of the lineup is so good that, again, when he's hitting third or fourth or whatever he's spot in the batting order, you've always got Ronnie on base. It feels like Olsen still is a guy that gets on base a good bit. So it feels like he's always got somebody that's that's on base for him. And then on the flip side, if he does get on base, then he's got Ozuna and Murphy and Darno and Michael Harris and Ozzie Albies and all these guys behind him that they just trot him around the bases, right? So I definitely think that while Austin Riley's overall numbers are projecting out to be pretty good, I, I think it's a function of what this offense is and how deep that their lineup is. You've got guys on base all the time in front of them. You've got guys that can knock them all around the bases right behind them. And again, that's seven, eight, nine. When, when Orlando Arcia is hitting 325 from the eight, nine spot, and Michael Harris is a guy who's going to be probably 2020, even what is, no matter what his batting average is, he's probably still going to be a 2020 guy when all is said and done. When you got that kind of depth in your lineup, Guys don't have to be good, and they're not asking Austin Riley to carry this lineup. You know, again, for a lot of guys, I mean, for a lot of teams, Austin Riley would have to be a guy that carries this lineup. But when it's Ronnie, Olsen, Albies, you know, Michael Harris, Darno, Sean Murphy, not one guy has to carry this lineup. And guys can benefit from putting up numbers just to where you plug a guy in the lineup and things are going to happen all around him. Right. I mean, again, 26% of his at bats are with runners in scoring position. Now, think about that. That's a crazy number. You, you come up your four times in a night. One of those times is guaranteed to have a runner in scoring position for you to pick up an RBI, sack fly, double off the wall, home run, whatever. Like, you're not having to create chances and opportunities because the guys in front of you are creating all those opportunities. And hence, from the back end, he's on a career, he's on a track to, score a career-high number of runs. Why? Because Murphy's banging them all in. Darno's banging them in. Marcelo Zuna's banging them all in. Ronnie, or sorry, um, uh, Michael Harris and Arce, they're banging them all in. And that's the beauty of what the Braves lineup is. That's the beauty of guys. Look, Ronnie's the MVP of the league. We know that, right? Olsen's had a big home run number, but even he's struggling, right? He's hitting like 229. Right now, and look at Riley, by the way, too. In his last seven games, in his last seven, now think about this in his last seven games, he's had 30 plate appearances. He's two for 26 with no homers, no doubles, no triples. He's got two RBI, a couple of walks, six strikeouts. 
So in that seven-game stretch here of late, he's hitting 077 with a 133 uh, on-base percentage, an 077 slugging, and a 210 OPS, and he hits third in the lineup. You know what the Braves' record is over those seven games? Five and two. You know why? Because their lineup mashes. One through nine mashes. And that's the beauty of what this is. So while Riley's 35,000-foot numbers will look pretty good, these 90-plus runs, 80-plus RBI, 25 homers, yeah, they, they may not be the numbers that we're used to from the last couple of years out of Austin Riley, but still, they're really good numbers, and yet he's probably really not having that good of a season based upon some of the underlying numbers, based upon how many opportunities he's getting, based upon the 136 with runners in scoring position, based upon the fact that if he gets on base, there's four guys behind him that are ready to just drive him on home, just bang balls off the wall, bang him out of the ballpark, and he just trots slowly around the bases. He doesn't have to steal a single base. All he's got to do is just stand on first and wait for everybody to drive him in. So it is interesting that an Austin Riley can be at this level, still put up good numbers, and yet probably not having a very good season in a lot of ways. And and maybe you're kind of fooled by some of the numbers, but again, he's a, he's a, he's a, a a product of what this lineup is, and that's the beauty of it. He's hitting 077 in the three hole over his last seven games, and the Braves are five and two. And by the way, have you noticed that the Braves aren't shutting everybody out one to nothing? It, it ain't like the Braves are dominating in the pitching cat. Strider and Morton, those guys aren't dominating on the mound. Those guys aren't pitching one nothing shutouts. No, no. This is 10-7, I guess that kind of numbers that the Braves offense is putting up right now. And that's why they've been so good. And Riley is a guy who's benefiting from everybody else around him, even hitting 136 with runners in scoring position and 077 over his last seven games. All right, as you make hitting hard your first listen, be sure to go in and leave us a comment that you're an everyday listener to the program. So we call them our everydayers. So we definitely thank you for being a part of the show, listening to us five days a week uh, here on the program. But let us know whatever podcast platform that you're on. Let us know in the comment section that you're an everydayer, as we like to call them. We thank you so much for being a part of our ever-growing community. All right, we've been talking about a lot about these pro football folks, and it's list season, right? I mean, that's what the NFL is right now. It's list season. We don't have games. We don't really have training camp yet. I mean, yeah, mandatory minis and all. Okay, whatever. I mean, nothing's happening right now, right? Nobody's getting signed. There's no real transactions in the NFL. So it's list season, right? And, and you know how much I like pro football focus, all right? So they ranked their defensive lines as a group overall. So NFL defensive line rankings, okay? No surprise. Gee, the Philadelphia Eagles came in at number one. Where'd they end up? Oh, yeah, the Super Bowl. That's right. Yeah. Well, the 49ers are number two. Where'd they end up? Oh, yeah, the NFC title game. So, anyway, um, look, right now, where the Falcons sit on this list, okay? And and this, this is going to be maybe fair or unfair to it, okay? Right now, the Falcons sit on Pro Football Focus's list of best defensive lines. They are 27th. Now, Here's the write-up, because this is interesting. Quote, three separate Atlanta defenders made our list of the 32 best interior defensive linemen in the league, but the combined age of the three will be 97 years 
by the time the season kicks off. And it is more likely that Grady Jarrett, Calais Campbell, and David Onyemata are all toward the tail ends of their careers. This combined with the fact that their projected starting edge defenders both graded the outside of the top 80 at their position in 2022 is not a promising sign for the Falcons defensive line for the 2023 season. So while the Falcons have some good defensive linemen overall, right? And I still continue to go back to this and I still continue to talk about this. I'm not sold that we're going to be a great pass rush team. I'm not sold yet. I have to see it to believe it. Now, again, like the ghostbuster said, we are ready to believe you. I don't think that 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 rating is very unfair to the Falcons. I mean, yeah, has our defensive line gotten better? Are we better at the edge and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, but it's a lot of hopes and prayers and changes and wishful thinking and all this kind of stuff. Look, we're banking on Arnold Ebicady to take that big step forward, and he showed signs and probably played his best game as a pro when he got a chance to start, but he was still a two-sack guy. Caden Ellis. I call him the offensive version of Caleb McGarry. He's had one good year in four. Is he that guy that we saw last year? Or is he the guy that played in the first three years where he couldn't get on the field and was mostly a special teams guy? Calais Campbell. At some point, father time catches up to everybody. Okay? Grady Jarrett, David Onyemata. You know, how well do they work together? Are they on the tail ends of their career? Lorenzo Carter is a bit player kind of on all this. D'Angelo Malone, I have no idea what D'Angelo Malone is right now. I don't know if he's a two-sack guy or a 20-sack guy. So, again, I think there are some good individual pieces, but I'm still concerned about this pass rush. That's why I talked about the idea of trading for a Daniil Hunter. That's why I want Justin Houston. That's why I want Yannick uh, Ngakwe. Like, that's why I want to sign those guys whose their only job is to go after the quarterback. Hey, you see that guy under center over there? Yeah, see that guy with the, with the two-bar face mask under center? Go get them. And that's your only job. And that's what I think we're still missing. That fire breather coming off the edge. Could Ebicady be that guy? Yes. But have we seen it yet? Could Caden Ellis be a guy that gets you seven or eight? Yes, but maybe not. Again, this is all kind of speculative as far as what our defensive line is going to produce. Do I think they'll gain more sacks than 21? Sure. By attrition, you know, again, we're not trotting out Stephen Means anymore, so that's a good thing. So we should get something out of somebody on the defensive line. Now, do I think we're a 38-40 sack team? And that's where playoff teams live. Again, 2016 moving forward, 70% of the playoff teams, 38 or more sacks. Again, I, I've run through all these numbers. The last 14 Super Bowl participants, 43 and a half sacks they've averaged. It's all about sacking the quarterback. And I don't know if we can do enough of that. I don't know if we can get after a quarterback enough in this defense. I think Ryan Nielsen is going to obviously be a big influence on getting to the quarterback. Obviously, he's a defensive line, line coach by nature. Again, he had really good defensive lines in New Orleans. They got after the quarterback. Jerry Gray is the best signing that the Falcons made all year long. And, and he's going to do wonders with that secondary. And, and no matter whether you're Jesse Bates or AJ Terrell or Jeff Okuda, uh, he's going to, they're going to be coached really well. So with that, can we get after the quarterback? And when I look at some of these guys, I'm like, well, 
maybe, you know, well, there's possibility. Well, you know, there's too many questions and not enough answers right now. I'm ready to buy into it and I'm ready to believe it that we're not going to be 39 sacks over a two-year period. I would hope that we have that number just this year alone. Because again, if you're going to be a playoff caliber defense, if this team is going to get to playoffs, yes, we can talk about our offense and all that. But again, I don't think we're a 30 point per game offense. You know, we're not the Kansas City Chiefs. We're not the Falcons in 2016. Like, I don't think that's going to be that kind of offense. I'm hoping to get to 26 points per game, and that will get us probably in the top 10. But again, I don't think they're a 30, 35 point. Again, nobody in the NFL does that. That's the greatest show on turf. Like, nobody does those kinds of things. Offenses rarely are 30 point per game offenses. No matter what you project out, they're rarely 30 point per game offenses. And that's for the special elite teams. But you have to sack the quarterback. If you do anything in the NFL on defense, I don't care what your run defense is. I don't care what your pass defense is. I don't care what your this, that, and the other is. If you sack the quarterback, your defense can be elite. Why are the 49ers the best line? Why are the 49ers having played in five of the last 10 NFC title games? Because they're the best line of scrimmage team in the NFL. That's why. Three different quarterbacks and two different head coaches, yet they've been to five of the last 10 conference title games. Why? Because they're elite on both sides of the ball at the line of scrimmage. I think we're elite on the offensive line. I don't know about the defensive line. And I have my concerns. And my number one question is still going to be, when we get to camp, we see battles, we see this, preseason, this, that, and the other. I don't know if, if we have enough guys that can sack the quarterback and put the quarterback on the ground. I don't know if we have enough in our pass rush at the end of the day. I have players that I think can be that, but I don't have concrete answers. And I think that's why when you look at this defensive line, that there are probably more question marks about what they can be than there are answers. Hopefully this all works out. Hopefully that this becomes what we think it could be. But I'll have to see it to believe it. Again, like the Ghostbusters said, we are ready to believe you. All right. Thanks for making Hitting Hard your first listen every day. Be sure to leave us a comment in whatever podcast platform that you listen to that you are an everyday listener to the program. So we give a shout out to our everydayers. We thank you so much for being a part of the show. We thank you so much for being a part of this ever-growing community. But leave us a note that you are an everydayer to the program. You can catch uh, Hitting Hard. Uh, you can get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Follow us, subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app as well. And then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page. That would be at JMCH316. Back with you on Monday. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. 